All right, hey, everybody. So it's Scoots here, and I've been reading the new Night Vale Presents novel, uh, uh, The Friendly-Faced Woman Who Plays Hide-and-Seek in Your Home uh, by Joseph Fink and uh, Jeffrey Craner. Uh, now, it's, it's, it comes out under a different title that you'll see. I'll link to it in the show notes. And, oh, boy, have I been enjoying this uh, this novel. It's just taken me in so many unexpected directions because you say, well, this is what I expect a Welcome to Night Vale novel to be. Now, this gives you, this 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 delivers on your expectations, but it takes them in a totally different direction at the same time. And it is really, really, really fun. And I just wanted to, I'm going to read you a little bit about it, but it, like, uh, I'm about 215 pages into the novel. I cannot wait to finish it, uh, probably so I can read it again. It came out March 24th and it's written by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner, authors of the New York times bestselling welcome to night Vale novels, uh, welcome to night Vale that came out in 2015 and it devours came out in 2017. Uh, they're also creators of the hit podcast, uh, Welcome to Night Vale. And this new novel is The uh, Friendly-Faced Woman Who Plays Hide-and-Seek in Your Home. It's a Harper Perennial hardcover. It's uh, $21.99. And it takes readers deeper into lore of Night Vale, talks about one of the most interesting residents of the town. And you get to live her whole backstory. Holy moly. That's not in the writing, but wow. Uh, this original adventure tale follows a compelling and uh, it, it, it a slightly unexpected story of uh, the friendly-faced woman who plays hide-and-seek in your every home in Night Vale and all of the possible adventures she could take you on and the motivations behind adventures, not all of which are always pure at heart. It's got a little bit of Count of Monte Cristo. It's got uh, like uh, novels uh, that I cannot mention here. And it has, for me, a little taste of the Princess Bride. It's told in uh, flashbacks throughout her life, uh, through 18th century Europe, already conquered by Napoleon, uh, goes to Mediterranean estate, nautical adventure. And I'm not even sure, like, I'm like only halfway through this book, so I cannot wait to see what happens next. I feel like a kid, and uh, I feel like I should be saying this, like, but up bum uh, like I'm on uh, uh, reading Rainbow, uh, the friendly-faced woman who lives. Do you like adventure stories? Do you like nautical tales? Do you like heroines uh, leading a, a crew of misfits? Uh, then you're gonna love the friendly-faced woman who lives in your home and plays hide and seek with you. This is little Andy uh, telling you to check it out. But um bump. Uh, so that's a friendly-faced woman. Uh, it also goes back to present-day Night Vale and uh, her uh, playing hide-and-seek in uh, someone's home. And there's so much humor with that and her buddy Craig. And we love Craig on this podcast. We love that name. Uh, so check it out. By the time you're hearing this, it should already be available. I will put a link into the show notes. There's also the audiobook, uh, which is narrated by actress and author Mara Wilson, who plays the character on Welcome to Night Vale. And, uh, yeah, use the link because the title is actually a little bit different than that, uh, but you'll be able to figure it out. Uh, in, in reading this book, uh, made me think, uh, have I ever talked about, uh, the, what's the name of that movie that I was going to talk about tonight? 
uh, what's it called, The Princess Bride before. And I said, have I done an episode about it or if I just talked about it? And I said, I don't know. So I said, let's do it. Uh, so here you go. Scoots is going to talk here. Tell the tape about uh, The Princess Bride. All right. So the movie, The Princess Bride. Let's. So, so I'm still like that. I, I, I still am trying to think if I've done an episode about this. And if you're new, and this might be my second time explaining it, but it, like uh, this is like a tale of the tape episode. So it's where I take it, the tale of the tape. Well, the tale of the tape is like uh, I try to remember. I run the tape of the movie in my mind and see what how like. Uh, because they say, I've seen this movie probably 30 times, and uh, how much of it, how much of the plot do I even remember? And then on top of it is the fact that uh, part of me is like, Scoots, I think you did this as an episode, but I don't think I did. Then part of me is like, I don't think we did. I don't remember ever releasing it. So this could be uh, a moment where we... Uh, we kiss the old, when did Scoots, when did Sleep With Me kiss the dolphin, as they say, when they talk about TV shows and Fonzie, after that famous Perfect Strangers episode where Fonzie came on and kissed a dolphin, you say, oh, that's when Sleep With Me kissed the dolphin, when Scoots did a second, like, but, and actually, but the funniest thing was, uh, only six people noticed. But in Scooch was not one of them because he's still like, I don't think I did do an episode about it. So the uh, princess bride, here's the thing. I've read the book. Uh, don't like, like, and, and I probably read the book somewhere between 2020, no, I mean 20, 2010 and 2015, but I don't know when I read it. And I was reading it bit by bit to my daughter as a bedtime story. And as I said, I got inspired to do this episode by the new Night Vale book. And so, uh, so let's see. Uh, okay, so I was going to set up because not everybody now not everybody's familiar with this, right? I'm sh- I'm pretty sure the book was written by William Goldman, and uh, but I'm not sure if the book was written. I'm not sure. I was like, is it was it a screenplay and then a novelization of the screenplay? Or was it a William Goldman novel that was made into a screenplay that was made into a movie? So I don't know those questions. I don't know the answer to that question. I do know that I think I do know that I think that Rob Reiner made the movie, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Uh, but I would be willing to wager. Uh, well. I would be able to wager that it could be wrong because, like, it was seventy percent wrong. But I, I want to say it's a Rob Reiner movie, uh, but 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 I'm not sure. So okay, so the Princess Bride is the name of the movie. It came out in the 1980s or maybe in the 90s. Again, if you said Scooch, you got to give me a number. Let's say okay, somewhere between 1989 and 1992. And then you would say, okay, Scooch, now set the mood. When did you first see it? Did you see it in the theater? I say, I did not see it in the theater. As a matter of fact, I honestly don't even remember, like, it being in the movie theater. And, oh, boy, did I miss out on an opportunity. I'll be perfectly frank with you. I'm very disappointed in my past self. Uh, one, for not seeing it in the movie theater, and two, not being aware of it. it like, not, like I wasn't even aware of it where I said, well, I don't think I'm going to see that. 
So there's a couple of things that, that that brings up that are interesting to me in Good for a Sleep Podcast. So, so say, did I, wh- why wasn't I aware of it? Was it the marketing budget for the movie? Or was it like the actual marketing? So was if it was the marketing budget, uh, was it just not marketed enough? Because, uh, well, we're going to when I first saw it. Uh, and so that's one question. So they say, well, huh, that's weird that I, like, I don't, I'm not aware of seeing any marketing for it. So was it the marketing more focused on all the characters whose names I'm never going to remember? Buttercup uh, and Wesley and more of romance? Or did it seem like it was being more, more marketed as a children's movie? Uh, or like an all-star, like a vehicle, like a, what do they call those? When there's like a bunch of cameo, like a cameo movie. I mean, I was in full angst at those, those were my most angsty years. So I may like it, but I can't even imagine, like, I can't remember. Usually I remember myself being disdainful of things and being like, oh boy, no, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I have teen angst, uh. I can't see a movie called The Princess Bride. I don't even know what that means, The Princess Bride. Uh, so as a movie, it's I would say it's an action-adventure romance. If, if you had to say, Scoots, give me one genre, I'd say action-adventure romance. But you say it like as one word would be the genre of the film. And oh, I was telling, when did I first see it? So I first saw it around not that long after it came out. So, but I guess like they used to delay stuff like a long time. It used to be a movie would come out, then it would go into the second run theaters, which uh, we had a good one by us that we used to go to a lot. So again, I, I would assume, and that could be interesting as me. Hold on, I got a positive recorder here. Okay, sorry. I just wrote down to look up the second run movie theater by my like that was was by my house too far to walk. Well, now as an adult, I probably would walk there. I mean, I probably wouldn't, but it, it would. No, I guess it was too far to walk. Uh, it was near one of my friend Charlie's houses, walking distance from his house. Uh, but so, oh, it's called the Genesee Theater. I'm pretty sure it was not, but it was in West. It was in Westvale, but it was called the Genesee Theater. I think it was on West Genesee Street, too. But, but so, and it was oh, also by, wow, that's a, I, well, we'll have to get back to Westvale Plaza in another point. Because a lot of, like, a, huh, that's weird. It was a plaza. So, like a shopping center plaza, you know, they drive in. And it had not just one, but four important touchstones of my youth. Uh, that's interesting, too. So, I guess we'll have to get back to that, too. Uh, but so back to, uh, so back to the princess bride. So I didn't see it in the second run theater. And then, uh, so I saw it at someone's house and I think it was like during, it was during the day. So I'm pretty sure, I don't think we were not at school when we were supposed to be, but maybe it was like a half, I'm pretty sure it was like a half day of school. Uh, so it could have been when you're younger uh, and you just go to somebody's house and you watch, you have a movie night, uh, before you're like, uh, I don't know when you're a teenager, but you're not like a, like, a, like you're an angsty teenager, but you haven't, um, moved on to angsty teenager activities, which is me for me scoffing and being disdainful and having bad attitude. Those are my, so, uh, but, uh. 
So we watched it someone's house. So, oh, so back then, so a movie would come out in the theater. It would go to a second-run theater. Then it wouldn't come out for public video. They called it, what did they call it? Home video back then. And this was the days of Blockbuster. You know, when people say things don't change, you say, okay, well, yeah, they do. Because, uh, like, I remember when you had to go to Blockbuster to get a movie, like, a year after it came out. Maybe it would be six months, but it would be, like, so long between when the movie was in the theater and it came out on video that you kind of forgot about it. And so I remember being at somebody's house, and this was this was a good move, whoever did it. Uh, probably my, one of my friends, it was either Debbie, Alicia, or Megan, I'm guessing, one of the three of them. And they had already picked the movie out. So it wasn't not a, it wasn't like all of us had to agree on a movie. I said, well, let's watch The Princess Bride. And at this point, I do remember scoffing or kind of being like, what, what, uh, The Princess Bride? Uh, and then I, I think I'd have been more aware of it, but it, this was one of those movies where once it started, my mouth, I got really quiet and I was into this film one, like 100, maybe like the first few minutes, it took me a little while. Uh, but after that I was totally into it. So we started watching the movie. So now I guess I'll move into the movie cause this is like my archetypal memory of the film anyway. And speaking of scoffing, holy cow, am I going to remember any of these movies? Okay, Fred Savage and Columbo, whose name is uh, Peter Peter something. It'll come to me. Uh, Peter Falk. Uh, So the movie starts out with uh, Fred Savage. Fred Savage's mother may be in it, or, or like a character playing Fred Savage's mother, or her voice may be in it. And, but Fred Savage is like home from school on like a snow day or something. And, uh, he's bored and Peter Falk is playing his grandfather, his loving grandfather. And he uses a little subtle psychology on Fred Savage. Cause they think Fred Savage might've been playing video games or whatever. And they said, listen, kid, you got to do something more productive for your brain. And Peter Fox says, what about a little theater of the mind? And Fred Savage says, it's theater of the lame, man. Uh, I think this was pre-Wonder Years, but maybe not. The, the TV show, or I don't know if he was already on that TV show. I have no idea. So I shouldn't have said that because I don't have any clue. But I think so, because he was just a boy in this movie. So maybe this movie came out in the 80s and not the 90s. I think Wonder Years was in the 90s, and Fred Savage was in high school in the 80s, but in the 1950s. I know it's confusing. It was a confusing time for all of us, believe me. Uh, but so so Fred Savage was a kid. I don't know his name. Kid, the, He was just the, the kid, maybe. The kid in the bed on a snow day. And Peter Falk was the grandfatherly figure, also narrator. So he says, so, so Fred Savage says, man, that's lame. Theater of the mind, that'll never be a, a thing. And Peter Fox said, well, once upon a time it was radio and storytelling. And he said, well, I just got this awesome book here. Uh, uh, hey, like, and Fred Savage says, does anyone kiss one another in the book? And he says, possibly. And then he says, not for me. You know, I'm not a believer in romance either, Grandpa. And the grandfather laughs and says, uh, okay, well, uh, 
well, I guess I'll go on my way. To, you know, it's just a book about, you know, adventure and swashbuckling, buckling of swashes, you know, uh, cool stuff. Uh, you know, people, unforgettable characters and, you know, other like also a lot of actors. You wouldn't believe it to like Christopher Guest. Mandy Patinkin, just to name two that, like, uh, like blow your mind. And Fred Savage says, wait a second, did you say Christopher Guest? And he said, that's just for starters. And they said, so you're planting those seeds in my mind of who I'll picture. And the grandfather says, not yet, my, my, my young lad. But he said, anyway, you're not interested in kissing and romance, so I'll just be on my way. And then Fred Savage says, oh, no, Grandpa, you know, give me a second. Now, we all know, I guess maybe you could tell, I don't know if you could read a book to a kid in two hours. I don't know if that's possible. But I have a feeling, especially if I was reading it, you'd only get through like one chapter and maybe two chapters in two hours. That's why I can't like do audio books because you see what that book's like 8,000 hours long. And that's an appeal for a lot of people, would I say. I can barely pay attention. The longest I can pay attention is when I'm putting, making a sleep podcast and trying to remember something I can't even remember. So Peter Falk, uh, the grandfather, said, okay, like, settle down. Get in bed. I'll read you this story. And then, so then we go, we transfer, and we will take interludes with the two of them. I think probably only like at the act breaks or I don't know if it's the exact act breaks. I have no idea. I was just guessing there. Probably trying to impress you with using act break, but, uh, in between parts of the story. Uh, and also like, you know, Fred Savage is representing some portion of the audience and saying, huh, well, this is my concern with this part of the story. So, okay. So all of those things. So the movie starts with uh, buttercup, uh, and Buttercup is, uh, so this is a little bit of a movie about cl- the class system and the roles we play as human beings, I think. Uh, but so Buttercup is a, is a uh, I guess in the movie she's some sort of upper, upper middle class, but not, uh, she's probably, I don't know, I don't even know what landed gentry means, but I think it means you own, you know, homeowner with land. And I don't know if she's necessarily royal, but and she but she has some attitude. I think well well earned attitude, and like uh, she's headstrong. I don't know. Some people say that in a bad way, but I would say bad, 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 bad Buttercup is headstrong in a good way. Hopefully, that's the character's name. She's played by Robin Wright, and so she like lives on a, a farm with her. I presume her family. I don't think we ever see her family. And there's a farm worker named Wesley, a farm boy, she calls him. Now, this this next part of the movie has been uh, the jumping off point for multiple films and uh, Blaze novels and stuff. Uh, so the next few minutes, you, you get into, like, a possible territory uh, because she always calls, says uh, she, she likes to boss him around. And she says, farm boy. Uh, you know, fetch me that water. And he always says, as you wish. And I think this is still, I can hear Peter Falk's, Peter Falk's grandfather's voice setting this up. Uh, eventually, he's in love with her. She's in love with him. Now, uh, 
I don't know when we learn his name. Maybe Peter Falk tells us his name's Wesley, but she calls him Farm Boy. And they slowly fall in love. Like, at some point, he says, as you wish, you know, their hands touch, or by, like, wishing well, they kiss, uh, or maybe they almost kiss. And so they, 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 they take a pride, they almost, uh, almost kiss, because Fred Savage doesn't like kissing. But so they're doing great. Their romance is just blossoming. Now, meanwhile, and I don't know if they go through, like, they're going through town, but the prince, there's a prince going through town. Uh, now, the prince is not, I always get mixed up who Christopher Guest plays, whether it's the prince or the prince's, like, uh, la- he plays the prince's lackey, I believe, yes. Oh, yeah, the prince is played by... Uh, I'm pretty sure the prince is played by this actor with great gravitas. Oh, great gravitas. I can't think of who it is. Uh, but maybe it'll come to me. But so Prince Humperdinck is like, uh, he's handsome. He's like a royal, like actual royalty. And he has his sidekick, uh, whose name I can't, who's played by Christopher Guest. Uh, and like, I don't know, he decides, I don't know if they're driving through and he sees Buttercup or he meets her at a festival or there's some sort of whatever. I don't know how he meets Buttercup, uh, but he decides, oh boy, am I going to marry Buttercup? She's going to be a queen. Like he's going to be king at some point. At this point, his father is still king. And I'm pretty sure the queen's still around too, or maybe only the queen's around. I don't know. But uh, no, I think the king and the queen. So I don't really remember. I, I mean, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to see if I could remember. But so Wes, like they say, okay, you're marrying Buttercup. You're going to marry Prince Humperdinck. And I don't know if this is before this or after it, but I think it was before it. Like, uh, like while Wesley and Buttercup are flirting, she says, well, you got to like, uh, like she goes, we live in this whatever patriarchal society. And it's not fair to anybody. It's a class, also a class system, and you got to have a dowry or something or some sort of status in order for me to be released from from one patriarch to another. And he's so he's played by Carrie Hughes. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Uh, like uh, who I've talked about before, because uh, where was he? He was recently on a show. Uh, but, but okay, so but so. Wesley says, okay, well, I'm going to go out and, and search for adventure and treasure or whatever. And I'll be back to, to, to like, uh, I think that's what happens. Like he goes away first. So then Prince Humberdink meets B- B- Buttercup. This is like the least important part of the movie, but, uh, well, I guess not really. So Prince Humberdink meets Buttercup and says, uh, by the way, uh, really like you. I think we'd make a good couple. I'm a, I'm a high status looking for a queen. You're very regal, very kind of headstrong in a good way. What do you think? And she says, well, I'm sworn to another. I'm, I'm in love with Wesley. You seem like a decent enough chap, uh, but, uh, sorry, I'm not into it really. And to be honest, I'm always going to love him. You like just waiting for him to return from adventure, you know, to, to deal with the system we have. And eventually he, him and his, uh, his Christopher guests, they come up with an idea of like, uh, 
they say the count, I think his name is, I can't remember, not count chocolate and not count uh, with the numbers, though there is an important number with him. But so they say, well, actually, by the way, Wesley, he uh, when he went away on adventure, and while he was adventuring, we heard that his ship, and I, I, don't, I guess this was factual, huh? I always thought it was made up, but actually, I think it's factual. So maybe she had already found out about this, but they said, by the way, his ship was captured uh, uh, by uh, uh, this guy, uh, um, uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, uh, a little bit like Lady Witchbeard, but a little bit different. And Dread Pirate Roberts, uh, you know, he like he, so Wesley's not going to come back. He he has his own system, and it wouldn't have worked out well for Wesley. So she's kind of heartbroken, I guess, and says, "Eventually, I get married to you, I guess, Humperdinck. Uh, but give me some time. Let's just have long. I don't know if they get married. I don't think they do." She says, when you're going to be king, I guess I'll marry you, maybe. I'll think about it. Uh, like, like Something like that. And he says, okay, fair enough. Uh, and then it gets old. Like, the king and the queen are older. It becomes time. I think it becomes time for her to get married. And uh, I, get, I don't know. Like, uh, she's just like out. Oh, I think she goes out for, for, she's out riding her horse to clear her mind. That's what it is. Like, whatever. She, she goes, she says, I got to go kind of like, uh, like, what do they call those? Like, uh, like solo moon, like, uh, to like, 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 yeah, just, just, I don't know. She's, she goes out, takes her horse out. They go out on the town. And while they're out there, uh, she meets up with freaking Wallace Shawn. Uh, Mandy Patinkin and Andre the Giant. And I don't know what their characters' names are. Uh, 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 oh, Indigo, Indigo Montoya. Uh, but I don't think there's a D in there. Indigo Montoya. Uh, and then Elfezig and... Oh, I thought he had like a nickname. Uh, but I mean, you thought, think about those three together. Holy moly. So they, they like to say, Hey, you're going to come with us. Like, uh, uh, we're going to take you on a, a fun trip. Uh, and eventually like the king will give us gold. It, they're, they're, they say, we got this idea. It's called the double dowry. And she says, what do you mean a double dowry? And they say, well, you know, with this system, they say, well, we're not in the class system either. We're outside of the class system. We're on the margins of it. And so we figured out a way, like the king and the queen are already getting in the, whatever, Humperdinck are going to pay your family, I assume, a dowry. Or, you know, your your status will be elevated. Uh, and if we just hang with you for a while, then you're, like, we'll get a dowry from Humperdinck, too. And she says, well, I'd prefer not because I don't really know any of you that well. But she finds out that, like, uh, while Sean's character is not exactly the best, but the other two are very, like, like Andre Fezig and uh, Inigo Montoya are great. So she says, okay. Now, meanwhile, they hop in a boat uh, to hit the road, right? And uh, 
uh, this is really set up because these are kind of like, uh, at first they kind of seem like a little bit antagonistic, these characters, but they're very likable. Uh, I think just because of the performances and the writing and the directing and and everything else. But so they're in a boat, right? What is his name? Well, Sean's character's name. I thought he was called the something. Because he goes, you don't get in a land war. Sicil- Maybe he's called the Sicilian. I don't know. But so they're in a boat and they're sneaking off until they get their double dowry. Because they say, well, the princes, you know, they got a bunch of horses and lances and stuff like that. And then they notice a boat's following them and they say, okay, let's go faster. This is the fastest boat around. And they say, well, that boat's still keeping up with us. And they say, okay, well, it's not like, uh, while Sean says, okay, well, we're going to go to these cliffs that that are, uh, unscalable except for, uh, Andre the Giant. Uh, then they have Andre the Giant climb this cliff with all, all three of them because he's so strong. Now, Andre the Giant was like a beloved wrestler and actor in the eighties. Uh, it'd be like, even though he also played like antagonistic characters, uh, he was always beloved. Uh, I think he was beloved and beloved. So he climbs the cliff and they look down and they see this mysterious character all in black, uh, very pirate-esque, uh, following him and inconceivable. That's what Wallace Shawn's character says all the time, inconceivable over and over again. And there's a lot of humor. They get up the, the, the top of the cliff, uh, uh, and they say it's impossible or inconceivable for anyone to be able to scale it. They, they, they say, well, this guy, this pirate dude is still still coming. Uh, and then he says, okay, Inigo, deal with it. We're out of here. And he says, uh, okay. Then we get like, a, I don't know, this performance in this scene is just so, like every scene is just so good. Yeah, but these are some of the highlights of the movie. So he's up there, Indigo Montoya, man of honor, Spanish swordsman, I believe, uh, greatest swords person in the world. And he says, hey, I'm waiting up here for you, uh, by the way. Like, uh, first, I think they they try to, like, trip him, trip him up. Uh, but there's a lot of, like, rapport and humor. And then... Uh, this character gets up there and they greet each other. He says, don't worry, have a break. I'm the best swordsman in the world. And I don't know if this is, at this point we realize that it's Wesley, but I'll just tell you it is. Uh, but he's dressed all like, uh, in like black silk, uh, like a, like a, like a sexy pirate ninja. Uh, I don't know how else to put it, but the truth. And he says, uh, they say, okay, and then he says, we'll sword fight after you have some water and stuff. That's what Inigo Montoya says. Uh, and they say, and then he says, why don't I tell you, why don't we start sword fighting? I'll tell you my whole backstory. So then he reveals his backstory, how he became the greatest swordsman. And he's only working this job, not because he's interested in a double dowry, but because he's in a quest to, to find this uh, six-fingered man. Uh, who uh, he's out, like very similar to characters in my story out to get Bezos. He says, I'd like to teach, he owes me $5 and, uh, you know, I'll never rest. Uh, he actually owed my father $5. Uh, 
uh, and uh, have a speech and everything. He goes, you know, it goes, you know, my name is Ingo Montoya. You owe my father five dollars. Uh, prepare to pay up because you like with interest, by the way, which is a lot because it's been like thirty years. So then, uh, uh, they say, then there's like a bunch of fun stuff, like, uh, where you realize that actually Wesley's also like unbelievable swordsman. And so they have this grand sword fight, like straight out of like a, a movie from any era. Uh, very fun, but Wesley does end up getting the upper hand, but he still shows like, uh, he still wants, uh, uh, like Inigo to have success. So then Wesley takes off. Uh, uh, then he runs across Andre the Giant, who, who actually is a giant. And they say, okay, like, uh, he says, uh, okay, well, we have to, like, do, do some, like, like WWF. Uh, and then Wesley says, I don't know what that is. He says, World Wrestling Federation. He goes, it's like, uh, he goes, you never heard of, like, SummerSlam? Or sweaty nights, or uh, hot summer evenings. Uh, Wesley goes no. He goes. Uh, he goes WrestleMania. No. He goes. Well, I'll show you. So then he goes. But you're really outmatched because I'm. A, I'm a giant. Also had a career in this uh, before this. So then, uh, but Wesley's just too smart. He outsmarts uh, Andre the Giant uh, again. You see that he has a great kind heart. He didn't really want to do it. They were both kind of uh, in the grip of uh, Wallace Shawn. I mean, who would blame? Who wouldn't blame him? Uh, uh, but then he tricks them. Next thing you know, they go around. He goes around the corner, and like Wallace Shawn's sitting there with like a picnic set up, uh, and Buttercup, I think. Uh, but Buttercup's like sleeping or something. She she can't see that it's uh, Wesley, or maybe she can. Uh, then there's also a jump back because, uh, we see that the print pin Sumperdink and Christopher Guest have caught up the count and they're tracking them. Uh, and they see, they, they, they you realize that either the Prince Sumperdink or Christopher Guest is like an expert tracker. Cause they say, Oh, look at this sword fight that was here. And then look at this. There was a giant and, uh, he was outsmarted, but then we get to, um, uh, while Sean, he says, okay, well, you know, you out gianted my giant, you out, uh, uh, like fenced my fencer. Uh, so I'm going to out, I'm an intellectual. So I'm going out intellectual you. And this one has probably been used before, but I had never seen it used before. So the payoff is just so good where while Sean says, I propose this game of intellect and I'm like, uh, it's called the, the, this, this, this water sippy game or something. And they say, well, geez, we've never played that game before. But meanwhile, Wesley has played it. So Wesley's like, still one step ahead of him. Iocane powder. Uh, and so he ends up besting Wallace Shawn in a gig battle of wits. I mean, that's what they actually have. I think that's what Wallace Shawn even says it. Uh, or the count. Uh, then uh, I'm trying to think what happens next. I think what happens next at some point they get teamed back up, but I don't think it's yet. Uh, I think uh, what happens is Wesley tries to say, "Hey, Buttercup, let's go," but he's still dressed as the Dread Pirate Roberts, and uh, 
she runs off. They roll down this hill together. And as they're rolling down the hill separately, he says, as you wish. Uh, then they get down into, uh, like, a sm- the smelly swamp. Uh, and they're together. And they say, thank goodness we're together here in the smelly swamp. Uh, uh, that's great. And then they have to m- wander their way through the smelly swamp. Uh, and they do that eventually, but then on the other side of the smelly swamp is the uh, Prince Humperdinck and his crew, and, uh, yeah, okay, okay, so I think I'm trying to remember, because I remember, when does he team back up with the, the, the rest of his people, and I'm not sure about that, uh, but so, uh, uh, Prince Buttercup says, oh, geez, like, uh, I love Wesley. Don't worry if you you like if you like you you like I'll totally marry you because I love Wesley. Uh, uh, just leave him alone, and then I'll go marry you, Humperdinck. That kind of thing. And I'm not sure how they leave it, but then, uh, we get Carol Kane. Oh, no, no, not yet. Do no, 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 not yet. You're right. You're right. Uh, so at some point, the Humperdinck and the Count have, the Count has another sidekick. Uh, and maybe that, maybe what happened was uh, that the, also the prince captured uh, uh, Inigo and, uh, uh, what's his name? Andre the Giant's character. It was like a, like kind of like a Dickensian name. Oh, Fezig. Uh, but so, like, uh, they drain out all of uh, Wesley's energy. Uh, I think just because Christopher Guest's character has Christopher Guest's character has kind of an attitude, and uh, so then Wesley's exhausted, like super exhausted. And I'm trying to think. He, at some point, he says, "We got to stop the wedding." Like, like Inigo and uh, Andre the Giant are like, "We love you, man. You spared us. Uh, you freed us from working for uh, um, Wild Sean. Even though we love Wild Sean, his character we didn't like so much, and we, we really appreciate all that." And he says, "No." Wesley says, "Well, I'm exhausted." What are we going to do? Or maybe Wesley's even sleeping. Somehow they come across Wesley or they get re-teamed up. I don't really remember that part. But they go to see Miracle Max, uh, who dislikes the king greatly. And Miracle Max is played by Billy Crystal. And uh, Millie Max uh, is played by Carol Kane. So you can't really go wrong with that. So they Miracle Max gives him like a, like a magical chocolate. I, I'm pretty sure that's what happens. And he says, you also need true love's kiss to get to back to 100%. And then and this is one of the points where they go back to uh, Fred Savage and Grandpa. And he says, ugh, true love's kiss is gross. And he says, is this story over? And then it's like the ticking clock is a wedding day. So And then Wesley's not 100%. So then they say, Wesley's like, we've still got to stop the wedding. Do you two want to help? They say, for sure, man, we love you. Uh, so then they go to the castle and they got to figure out a way to get in. Cause there's like tons of, uh, there's tons of stuff. Uh, oh, and they got magic stuff. I don't know if Miracle Max gave it to them, uh, but they get a cloak and a few other things. And, uh, 
they use those. So then they like uh, do this cool thing with Andre the Giant and sound effects, uh, and they get into the castle. Um, I'm not sure what happens after that, other than that they split up and then, um, uh, like, uh, they split up. I'm not sure where, where Andre the Giant goes. Eventually he has to help everybody, but then we get like a couple climaxes. So Indigo Montoya, uh, has to go, like, finds out that the six fingered man is Christopher Guest, uh, the count. Uh, so they have a showdown. And it's pretty like actually like a long action scene and a lot of double crosses and uh, a couple of like a like a counter whatever moves. Uh, so there's that. Then I think it ends up that the Prince Humberdink's like a coward. So Wesley goes against him, but he's a coward. Or maybe it's uh, I don't remember. But so eventually Wesley gets back to Buttercup. Uh, they break up the wedding. Uh, they like there's multiple dance offs. I think uh, like uh, the king and queen. They never liked their kid anyway. I don't think or the queen. One of them was like, "Oh, we wanted Buttercup to be happy anyway." I'm probably missing something in there. So they get there, then they get caught. Then they like have to deal with the count. Then they go to Mir- Miracle Max's. Then they go to the ca- have fun storming the castle. Yeah, that's what Max says to them. So I'm just not sure between the Stinky Swamp and Miracle Max's how uh, they end up with uh, like that. Maybe they just found Wesley. That seems like pretty synchro- synchronous, but uh, it is it is a magical story. Uh, but then, let's see what else happens. So then, oh, I don't know. I think everything worked out. Uh, so Indigo gets the six-fingered guy that uh, and his money in the end with interest, total interest. Uh, Andre the Giant meets Buttercup and says, hello, you know, you're pretty cool. We heard about you. We're sorry about the other stuff uh, with Wallace Shawn. And she says, Wallace and Gromit? And he goes, no, but uh, like, uh, I could see why you'd say that. And Wesley, take, she realizes, oh, she'd already realized it was Wesley. So then they get to go into a courtyard and kiss. I don't I, Like, that's the last thing. And then Fred Savage learns to love when people kiss because they, Fred, the grandpa says, well, I could stop it here. And he says, why? And he says, well, true love's kiss is the only thing left to go. And he says, it's okay. I'd love to hear about true love's kiss. Uh, and I think that's what re-energizes Wesley. Maybe he was still had no energy until true love's kiss. Uh, there's some magical power. And then, and then Fred Savage and his grandpa, they, they basically kind of are uh, peeking in on them making out, like story-wise. And the story comes to a conclusion. All in all, a pretty great story. Uh, and it, so, the, again, if you really enjoyed that movie or the idea of that style movie, this is the this book is a, is a bit different, but the link will be in my show notes for the latest uh, A Welcome to Night Vale novel. Uh, the friendly uh, old, older woman who plays hide-and-seek in your house Uh and I really, really think, like, if you enjoyed this movie or this book, you're really going to enjoy this book, uh, this novel. 
and it's a totally different take on it, but it's a definitely, uh, it has the action, it has the adventure, and it has a lot more than that. And, and, and like, uh, so I'm only on page, uh, like, uh, I'm in, I'm in like almost to page 200. And I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, and I think you will too. Uh, so I strongly suggest it. Uh, check it out. Good night.